Welcome to Gathering Gold, a podcast for highly sensitive souls. I'm Cheryl Paul, a counselor trained in the Jungian depth psychological tradition. And I'm Victoria Russell, Cheryl's niece and co-host. This podcast explores some of the themes highlighted in my book, The Wisdom of Anxiety, and my Conscious Transitions blog. Join us as we dive into the realms of our inner worlds to ask deep questions, grow more self-trust and self-love, and embrace sensitivity, creativity, and the rhythms of the natural world. If you would like to connect with me, Victoria, and others in the Gathering Gold listener community and support the podcast to help us continue our work, please consider joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash gatheringgold. To learn more about Cheryl's course offerings, including courses to support you in breaking free from anxiety in all forms, learning to trust yourself, and becoming more comfortable with uncertainty, please visit Cheryl's website, conscious-transitions.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Cheryl is at Wisdom of Anxiety, and I am at Perennials Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are here for a very special episode on relationship anxiety, and it has been somewhat striking that it has taken this long for us to do an episode on relationship anxiety. Victoria and I actually tried to do it once, and It was so vast, it's such a vast topic that we couldn't condense it into an hour. So a lot of you have found your way to my work through the portal, through the struggle, through the suffering, through the initiation of relationship anxiety. I would say a vast majority of you have found me through that entry point. And then from there, we go into deeper realms together. And so it's interesting that we haven't done an episode until now. And I'm very excited to do this particular episode. We have invited somebody on as our guest in the vein of the interviews that I shared at the end of both of my courses, Conscious Wedding Z course and also the Break Free from Relationship Anxiety course. Um, the, in, the one-hour interviews, I know for many people, have been a lifeline We derive a lot of comfort from people's stories, from knowing that we're not alone, from hearing about their journey through the suffering, but more importantly, what helped them to break free, what helped them to get to the other side, what helped them to move forward in their relationship, both literally in terms of taking next steps and also possibly more important, but maybe not, in their hearts to be able to move past what can be quite debilitating and paralyzing for a lot of people when they are in the throes, in the thick of it, drowning in relationship anxiety. So Victoria and I are very excited to be here today with Katie and be able to offer one of these interviews in this format to hear her story, to hear what was hard what brought her down, what brought her here, and what allowed her to move through. So big, big welcome, Katie. We're so grateful that you're here willing to share your story, and we're very excited to connect with you. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you, Victoria. It's a a pleasure to be here, too. So we're going to follow a pretty similar format to the questions that I asked in those 10 interviews at the end of the course. Um, And starting with some basic data points, your age, partner's age, how long you've been together, when you got married. But before we do that, Katie, I'm curious what it's like for you to be here and to be on the other side. I'm sure you listened to those interviews in the course. I imagine you did. And to be one of the people now who's being interviewed, I'm curious if if you can share a bit about that. Honestly, you know, we talked about this before we started recording, um, but it just amazes me how little of the material that you share in your course is disseminated in uh, mainstream culture. 
Um, mm. You know, over the years, you know, I'd struggled uh, trying to maintain relationships and I didn't understand why I, you know, my mind kept failing at them. Um, I, I would get scared um, and run off, you know, relatively quickly. Mm. And um, it wasn't really until I dove into your course on relationship anxiety that I really started to turn inwards, um, which was the entire problem the whole time, right? I kept projecting so many um, of my own anxious thoughts onto my potential partner um, and finding reasons that they were inadequate. Um, And now to be on the other side, um, it's the experience of going through that course was one of the most liberating experiences, liberating and empowering experiences mm. of my life. Mm. Like I find, I feel like I'm finally for the first time at uh, 35 years old, which is, uh, I guess your next question, mm-hmm. um, uh, understanding myself in, in a, in a, a much, much deeper way than I ever thought was possible. Mm. Beautiful. Thank you, Katie. So, yes, you are 35, partner's age. How long you've been together when you got married? Sure. So my partner uh, is 42 years old. We've been together for about two and a half years now. And we just got married about a month ago. Hmm. Congratulations. Thank you. So let's go back to when your relationship anxiety began? How long had you been together? And what did it look like? If you can describe it in as much detail as you can, what the intrusive thoughts were, what it felt like in your body, how it affected you. Sure. So um, we started dating in about September of 2020. And um, at the time, um, I didn't even think of it as dating. Um, frankly, co- you know, COVID had hit, everything was very shut down. And um, he was uh, the older brother of one of my friends. Mm-hmm. And at first, you know, he was interested in me. I wasn't necessarily sure how I felt about him, but frankly, COVID was very lonely and isolating. Yes. Yes. And he wanted to meet up and I knew him and I felt, well, at least I know this guy. He's not a stranger. And you know, maybe we can at least have some, some fun together, you know, find some kind of connection in, in, in all this loneliness of the pandemic. And so I actually told him on our first date that it was not a date and that we were just friends, <laughs> which he later told me that he was laughing on the inside saying, yeah, that's not going to happen. Um, I, mm-hmm. I have, he had a much better feeling about it at the beginning than I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for the first few dates, um, I was just getting to know him and I was just having fun and it was, it was kind of easy and I just let myself enjoy it. Um, and then I would say, I don't know, maybe a few weeks in, I started, um, realizing on a, on a conscious level, at least I'd probably already reala- realized on a subconscious level that there was a lot of potential here mm-hmm. and, um, that I, I liked him and, Um, I saw a lot of promise and that started to scare me. And I started having a number of intrusive thoughts, um, very similar to the ones that I'd had in many past relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, So as I mentioned before, we started recording, my my husband is very excited to listen to this podcast. So I won't say any intrusive thoughts specific to him, but it really doesn't matter because the intrusive thoughts I had about him were basically the exact same ones I'd had about many partners um, in the past. So, you know, you just start to question, oh, is he smart enough? Is he tall enough? Does he make enough money? Uh, Is it okay that he doesn't have a graduate degree? Um, Is he funny enough? Is he too old, too young? Um, Do we really connect? Just all of these questions, most of which, as you can see, are are incredibly superficial and really don't um, dictate the success of, of a relationship at all. So there were thoughts like that that I was having. Um, but frankly, even worse for the first time, um, because I think I was really trying to push myself forward and kind of through, through into the relationship. Um, I started to feel, experience more physical symptoms than I had before. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, we lived, we lived about an hour apart from each other at first. And so 
you know, it was hard to be commuting back and forth. So I would, you know, spend nights over just so we could have more time together. And I would work, you know, from his home during the day, which I was thankfully permitted to do. Um, and so I would experience things like tightness in my chest. Um, uh, from a more emotional standpoint, I, I certainly felt a little, a little closed off. Um, and he, he certainly saw that he, he commented on that after the fact. Um, and I, I certainly had a tendency with him and with, with past partners to, I guess the way I would phrase it is joke a little too harshly, not intentionally, not trying to hurt anybody. Obviously I, I, I always try to avoid that. Um, but I do, I do very much appreciate my sense of wit and I do like to joke a lot and banter. And sometimes my anxieties would creep up into my sense of humor and mm. end up, you know, just poking a little too hard. Um, and I would feel awful about it afterwards. And I didn't know why I was doing that. And, and it, it was through this course that I realized why I was doing that. It was a way of trying to keep them at a distance and um, stay safe, protect myself from, from pain. Um, so other physical symptoms were, um, I had upset stomach, um, digestive issues, uh, particularly in the middle of the night. And that was accompanied by insomnia and the insomnia was the worst, um, trying to sleep over at his house for the first few months was, um, awful. I mean, mm. I felt, and it, and it, it hurt the relationship too, because I couldn't sleep. And when you can't sleep, you wake up, you don't wake up, I guess you kind of just get up the next morning. Um, and I felt like a zombie, uh, mm. physically and emotionally like a zombie. I was not available, emotionally available to him in the way that I wanted to be. And so those, you know, those are the main symptoms that I experienced, um, starting out. Yes. Thank you. Such textbook relationship anxiety symptoms. I think it's always comforting for others to hear how universal the thoughts and feelings are, even if they're not exactly the same. And of course, that's one place that the anxious mind gets hooked. Well, mine was a little different. I didn't quite have that thought or my physical symptoms were different. But we know that it's pretty textbook across the board, what it sounds like and what it feels like to be stuck and to be hooked into, into those themes. And what were you sharing with your partner at this time before you understood what was happening? I don't think I shared with him any of the intrusive thoughts I was having because mm -hmm. I just thought that that would hurt him. And yes, even in the, you know, in the moment I, I was concerned that some of my intrusive thoughts were true, but I didn't see how sharing them with him would solve anything. I mean, he certainly can't make himself taller or smarter or just immediately go out and get a graduate degree. I mean, you know, they're, they're yeah. just right. They, they can't be fixed. So I didn't see the point in doing that, but I did, I did share with him the physical symptoms and he was certainly aware of the insomnia um, and he felt mm -hmm. awful about it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so at first I thought, oh, it's because, you know, this is a new place. You're a new person. I'm not used to this bed. Um, and so I was kind of externalizing um, the causes of my insomnia because I just didn't understand them. And so we tried to kind of troubleshoot that, um, but nothing was really working. Yeah. And before you found my course, how were you understanding what was happening and what kept you in when it was getting really bad? I think I was starting to get an inkling before I found your course online that this had more to do with me than with him or with the, you know, situation um, mm -hmm. with, you know, where I was sleeping and, and, and everything like that. Um, and I think it was because I could tell that, that he was really the, the one, um, sort of uncommon denominator there. Um, cause typically when I sleep by myself, I sleep beautifully. I, I generally have very good sleep. And so I was very used to that. And the only change was that I was now sleeping next to him and I could feel uh, myself somewhat tight around him. Um, and I, I could, I was having intrusive thoughts, um, as I was trying to fall asleep about, uh, am I, am I safe here? can I fall asleep here? And will I, will I be unattractive while I'm asleep? I mean, just things like that, just literally letting yourself into the most vulnerable posi position that a person can be in fully yes. asleep. Yes. And so I started, I started to get a sense then that, 
this had something far more to do with me. Mm. I know you asked what kept me in. Um, and it was really just this sense of, it was a very quiet voice in me. It wasn't the loud, intrusive thoughts that I was having, but it was a very quiet voice that said, I like this and I like this guy. And mm. there is definitely a part of me that feels safe with them, that feels that we connect, that we get along very well, that we could be really good friends. We had, we just had a really good time together and he was so gentle with me and frankly nervous. He was nervous of uh, messing it up, you know, and mm. I can see that. And I wanted to put in as much effort as he was putting in. Mm. Hmm. Yeah. At what point in the midst of this? So it sounds like there was a somewhat easy first few dates, but as soon as you realized consciously and subconsciously that this was someone, this was a viable life partner. There was something real here. You could see this moving forward toward lifelong commitment. That the anxiety ramped up or reared its head. And how long, how long were you in it? At what point did you find the course? Um, I found the course, um, if my memory is correct, in about November of 2020. So it was about two months in. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I'd been looking for maybe a week or so before I found the course, um, you know, reading various articles online that frankly weren't very helpful. And I, I could even tell at first blush that they didn't really seem to speak truth to me. They just seemed mm -hmm. like so many of the other kind of superficial articles you can find online about mm -hmm. fixing relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, they, they just didn't resonate with me. And, um, I honestly don't know how I found your course. I, I literally just stumbled across it on Google and I just started mm -hmm. reading, um, some of your blog posts. And I would say the two biggest, um, revelations, um, that I gained from the course were one that just because you have a thought doesn't mean it's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, and two, um, these thoughts that I'm having, uh, this relationship anxiety that I'm having is really all about me and not really at all about my partner. Mm. And that it's a, a form of projection in many ways. Mm -hmm. um, and those, just remembering those two things as I went through the course material was uh, immensely helpful and and grounding for me. Um, because once I, I saw it from that perspective, it also was really empowering to see it from that perspective. Oh, all these, these thoughts that I've been having all these years about every guy I've ever dated aren't actually true. <laughs> um, I, I can actually challenge my own thoughts. Uh, mm -hmm. and even more so if this is about me, that means that it's within my control to fix it. This is not something external to me that, um, just happens to me. This is some, this is, this is happening inside of my own, my own head. And I, I am both the cause of and the solution to my own problem. And mm. that's, that's a very empowering, uh, and as I said before, liberating, um, revelation. Yes. I think it is too. I think where people get stuck is and this is one of the key pieces that I emphasize over and over again in the course and on the forum and in anything I write about relationship anxiety is that if there isn't a deep willingness and readiness to take true and full personal responsibility for our thoughts, feelings, and actions, then people tend to get stuck in the projection. Because if you're not in the projection, if you recognize that the projection is an avoidance of responsibility and an abdication of responsibility in some way. Because on some level, even though it's more empowering and liberating to reel back the projection and take the responsibility, because then we have control and we can actually make a difference um, in our healing, it's, it's scary for a lot of people to do that. They might not feel that they have the, um, the skills or the muscle of that inner parent, that ability to do that, even though everybody does have that, even if it's a weaker muscle, 
it can be strengthened and practiced. Um, and so on one level, there is the belief that it's just easier to keep projecting because if the other person would just be different in this way, even though, like you said, it's often attached to impossible things to change. You can't make your partner taller. You can't change their face. You can't change their education. You can't, you really can't change a whole lot. Um, but there's still that illusion, that fantasy, that false hope that says, if only my partner were different, then I wouldn't be feeling this way. But it doesn't sound like you got stuck there at all. That as soon, even before you found the material, that there was a, an awareness that this is me. And then finding it confirmed that for you and then gave you the tools and mindsets that allowed you to, to do the work fairly quickly, it sounds like, in terms of reversing that projection and turning that magnifying glass into a mirror. And so I'm curious um, if this piece around true personal responsibility is familiar to you. Um, is that how you've lived a lot of your life is, is, is from that place of wanting to take that responsibility? Was this newer for you? You can speak to that place. Yes. So, um, I don't, I do believe that that, that is how I had lived my life up until that point, but I don't know that I understood it in those terms. Um, and so actually that was another uh, another piece of your course and of, of your material more generally that I, I've really taken to heart that we are responsible for uh, and accountable for our own feelings. Those are our responsibility, not somebody else's. I think one of the reasons that I was able to really process and um, embrace the course material as quickly as I did was because I'd had a previous experience. So I had dated somebody back in um, 2018 and I um, had a lot of relationship anxiety at the beginning of that relationship. I had many of the same intrusive thoughts that I had about my now husband. So we, we may end up talking about the pursuer distancer, which I think is a fascinating dynamic. And, and that yes. explains so much of my dating history. But I was certainly the distancer with both my husband and this man that I dated in 2018. Mm-hmm. And he was initially the pursuer. And that made me um, very afraid. And I know one of the questions that you had, um, you had sent me ahead of time was when my relationship anxiety gets triggered. And it's really whenever there's a risk of pain, but not just my own pain, but also my potential partners. So mm-hmm. it would get triggered when I thought, I was getting too close and might get hurt um, because I actually did see potential there. Um, and it would also get triggered when maybe I didn't see potential and I was afraid of hurting them. Yes. And so I just wanted to break it off before anybody got hurt. Yes. So I was dating this guy back in 2018 uh, and it started off, um, like I said, with a lot of, uh, a lot of anxiety on my part. And then after a few dates, I, something changed in me and I was like, oh no, I actually really like this guy. We get along very well. Um, we, we had a really great connection and I could see that he felt it too. But then unfortunately, once, once I kind of realized that, that's when the relationship anxiety came back in full force and I got even more scared and I started getting worried about um, other things. Like he traveled a lot for work and I was like, how is this going to work? I mean, I don't really want to do a long distance relationship and other things like that. And and I think he started to feel the stress of the kind of logistical hurdles that we were facing and, and literally just trying to meet up. And I was never good at talking on the phone with guys. Um, I found it too personal, too intimate. I felt too exposed. I would either prefer to meet in person um, or just to text. And I know that he had wanted to talk on the phone while, while he was away. And I just, I just didn't feel comfortable with that. And I, and I remember declining his invitation to talk on the phone initially. Um, and then he never asked me again, I think probably because he was afraid of being rejected again. And so we would go through these long spans where he was gone and it was just communication via text. And I could feel the cord between us starting to wither mm. and stretch. 
and eventually die. And he was actually the one to end it. I, I was certainly having a lot of doubts, um, but, um, and it would, it had only been like several months. Um, but I remember really regretting how that relationship went and really regretting how scared I had been because I know that if I had been more, more, uh, courageous and more honest with him about what I wanted, there were things that I could have done for sure to keep, um, the connection stronger and, and, and strengthen it even more. And I didn't do those things because I was so afraid of getting hurt. And I, I could tell by the end he was as well. Mm. And so I basically vowed to myself after that relationship ended that when I really felt a connection with somebody, um, it's a quiet voice, like I said, that tells you that, not a loud voice, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that I was not going to run away and that how, however scared I got, I was going to push through it. Mm. And so when I started dating my now husband, I started having all those same fears. And I said to myself, Katie, you already made this promise to yourself. You're not going to run away again. Mm. You need to figure out what is happening here and fix it. Mm. So that's kind of that kind of long backstory. And and just more generally, I, I guess I'd sort of dated men in three buckets. There was either the yeah, I don't really feel anything here at all. I don't think we click. I don't think anything is going to happen here. And so I would end those pretty quickly, um, mostly because I didn't want to lead them on. I didn't want to hurt their feelings. I, mm-hmm. I cannot be in a relationship where there's no real connection, where there's no love, where mm-hmm. there's no intimacy. That's not what I want. That's one bucket. Then there's um, the one I've mentioned, which is where um, I found my husband and and the guy I dated in 2018 and a couple others over the years where um, I felt a connection, but there was no lust or infatuation at the beginning. And so I just had a bunch of intrusive thoughts instead. Mm-hmm. And then I'd had several relationships in the past, which started with, uh, I would, I had always described it as lust. You've taught, you've called it infatuation. Um, it's certainly a, a very chemical thing. Um, you're just physically very, very drawn to this person and you're so drawn to them that it makes you feel certain that this is it. And so mm-hmm. it drowns out any intrusive thoughts you might otherwise have. Yes. Um, and so not knowing really what love was and where to find it, um, I had always thought that I needed to find that spark, that infatuation, and that if that didn't exist in the relationship at the beginning, um, it was basically DOA, dead on arrival. Mm. Um, Mm. and so I, I had been chasing, um, I guess, infatuation my whole life, not realizing that, but that really was just kind of what you call the, what you've called sort of the honeymoon phase. And it's fine Mm. to start a relationship that way, but it doesn't last. And after that, you need to really figure out how you're going to make the relationship work, um, without, without that being there you know, I've talked to my husband about all this and he understands and, you know, he, he kind of, um, jokingly chides me a bit, um, about when I've told him like, no, I, I wasn't infatuated with you at the beginning, you know? And, and I think he felt more infatuation for me, um, Mm -hmm. than I did for him, but I keep telling, but I've told him and, and he totally understands that, um, I think it needed to happen this way for me. If, if it had started with, uh, if my relationship with my husband had started with infatuation, like others in the past had, hmm. uh, I don't know that I ever would have realized that I had relationship anxiety underneath it because the infatuation would eventually fade mm-hmm. and then the relationship anxiety would come to the surface. And I mean, I, at least from my perspective, I just felt it's way easier to know going in what I'm facing than to be mm-hmm. kind of blindsided by relationship anxiety two years in after the infatuation fades. Mm. And so I told him, I think the fact that I, I was not infatuated, I didn't feel, you know, those chemical feelings, uh, certainly a connection and something much deeper and Mm -hmm. much more lovely. I certainly felt that. Uh, But the fact that I didn't enter the relationship with infatuation gave me clear vision. It gave me eyes to see clearly, um, kind of what was going on. And I think it's what allowed me to 
to really search for, for answers and eventually find your course. Mm. Yes. So well said, Katie. Thank you. Um, I want to pick up on a few pieces there. One is for those of you listening and just to clarify, because I'm always thinking about the anxious mind and the pieces that people might latch onto as evidence of, you know, that their story is different, their case is different, their worst case scenario. So relationships can start either way. It can start with the big bang, flames, infatuation. It can start as just more of a quiet connection. At some point, we are left with what simmers down, what what is revealed sometimes earlier, sometimes later, are our core fears, beliefs, patterns, templates, places inside that need attention around relationships, around love, our love scripts, um, our trauma places, our fears. And so if you're listening and your relationship did start with big flames of infatuation, that's totally fine. Um, It happens that way. And then when it happens that way and the relationship anxiety shows up, it can be harder, like you're saying, Katie, because the person then so desperately wants to get back to those big feelings. And because we use feelings as evidence of rightness, in quotation marks, um, they are absolutely blindsided. They are so confused and they're so desperate. They're scrambling to get, get the feelings. If only I had the feelings, that would be my confirmation that I'm in the right relationship. Just like you said, when you've had the big infatuation feelings, we think, oh, right, this is what it's supposed to feel like. I'm with the one. This is what Hollywood and Disney have taught me from the time I was born. I've got it. But none, none of that is confirmation of a healthy relationship. Eventually, that the flames die down, and then you're left with what's underneath. And so I would say a lot of people do find my work through the, the template, the pattern that you are describing um, in terms of just a quieter beginning, basing it on the, the connection and relationship anxiety mind can undo that word also. Do we have enough connection? And I heard that as one of your intrusive thoughts as well, maybe a quieter one, but um, anxiety can undo anything. And so that leads me to something else that you have mentioned a couple of times, which I think is such an important place to to lift up for people struggling in this moment with relationship anxiety or really any type of anxiety is that difference between the anxious voice and that much quieter, still, sometimes a whisper, the little stillness, the voice of stillness that can be very quiet inside, but that is a place of knowing because so many people struggle with what is the difference between fear and intuition? What is the difference between true red flags and you know, if how do I know that this is not telling me that there's a real problem? How do I know that this is actually relationship anxiety? And it sounds like you had that someplace inside, which I think not everybody has access to, or it's so quiet that it makes it very hard to hear. Um, but I'm curious if you can speak a little bit more to how you knew that there was a difference between the quiet voice and the loud, intrusive thoughts? I would say that I I could see the vast contrast between the infatuation I'd felt for, you know, a few other guys that I dated in the past and, and my now husband versus the quiet kind of connection that I felt to him. And I guess the way I can describe it is, you know, with the infatuation, it felt very physical. And, and I would say all physical. And ironically, I had dated guys in the past for whom I felt infatuation. And it was like this very strong physical attraction. Um, And I remember uh, even like a couple months in having some quiet, intrusive thoughts starting to bubble to the surface, becoming not quite as loud as the infatuation, but loud enough so that I could hear them. And they were asking me, and maybe this isn't even intrusive thought. Maybe, maybe you can speak to this, Cheryl. Um, but I started wondering, hmm, I'm certainly very physically attracted to this guy, but I don't know that we really get each other. I don't know mm-hmm. that, you know, once this dies down, because I'd heard, you know, 
for many years that infatuation doesn't last, this isn't going to last forever. Is there going to be anything here underneath? Mm. You know, are, are we actually going to have a connection underneath? Cause those, they, they aren't the same thing. And, um, and so I need, I've even had, you know, um, those kind of anxious thoughts in the past with, uh, guys with whom I'd been infatuated, but with my now husband, it was very different. It wasn't like, um, and, and I, I will, um, I will mention at the end, uh, hopefully some, some soothing comments for, for my husband and, and for everyone else listening. Um, cause I know he'll be listening to this later, but it wasn't that I wanted to, you know, run over to his house and tear his clothes off. It wasn't like that, mm-hmm. but it was, I want to be with him. I just want to be next to him. I want to sit down on the couch next to him. I want to do regular day-to-day things with him. I want to go on adventures with him. I want to go to a pottery class. I want to go to dinner with him. I want, I want to explore life with him. I want to explore his mind. Um, it was this, it was a a quiet attraction. I just felt drawn to him, but it wasn't, it wasn't this loud, you know, boisterous voice. Um, it was, it was much quieter than that, but still very strong. Not something, um, certainly not something that I felt that I could ignore. Yes. And I guess the the one point I was going to add, um, in case I forget, I made a note of it is, uh, like I said, since I know my husband will be listening to this later and I don't want him to feel any anxiety about the the whole infatuation conversation mm-hmm. um, is that now, you know, we are two and a half years into our relationship and we've certainly talked about this. So I know he's aware, but I, I just like to reiterate for him mm-hmm. um, is that I'm more attracted to him uh, than ever now. Yes. And it's a very different type of attraction. Um, yes. And I've never experienced this before, truly, mm. in my entire life, never experienced this kind of attraction to somebody. Mm. Um, and it's so much deeper and more lovely than, than just the pure physical infatuation. Mm. Um, there's certainly a physical attraction element there. I mean, we kind of joke, like, I just don't always want to be sitting next to him. I want to have my hand on his thigh. I want to have my hand on his back. I want, you know, mm. I just I want him to be petting me, you know, um, just mm. little things like that. And, and, you know, certainly we're, we're more physical than that as well, but, but just small physical connection is very big to me. I just want to feel physically connected to him, um, as well as emotionally and intellectually, uh, and I would say spiritually connected to him. It's a very, yes. the type of connection and attraction, um, that comes from like a real love, a real intimacy, is a very holistic one, which is very mm. different from the purely physical kind of superficial attraction that you experience with infatuation. Yes. So beautifully shared, Katie. I'm so glad that you shared that now, not only for your husband's sake, but for people listening, because I think the question does arise, well, okay, so you really like each other and you want to spend time together, but what if it's just a friendship? And not to underestimate the friendship element of marriage, of committed relationship, because it is foundational that you actually like each other, that you enjoy each other, that you enjoy spending time together and doing things together and exploring each other's minds. Um, But that it's beyond that, that your being, your body, your heart is drawn to him, to be close to him, to be physically close to him to have your hand on him, to have his hand on you, um, and you know, like you alluded to and beyond that, that that what grows from true connection, what grows when we walk through the flames of fear and anxiety and intrusive thoughts, when we hold true to that tiny part of us, even if you don't hear it as a voice, but that there's something in you that's staying in because there is something very good and special between you because there is that sense of safety, that sense of home, that sense of, I don't want to be without this person. And so we don't even have to know anything beyond that, except I know I don't want to be without this person. And when we do the inner work and reverse the projections and take the responsibility, 
what does grow is like you're saying, so it's such a deep attraction. It's such a deep beauty. It's something that I just don't think we see represented very often in the mainstream because we're such a flashy image-based culture. We see the beginning always of the relationship. We see like the typical romantic comedy ends when the couple finally gets together and kisses and it's all pursuer and distancer and it's all chase and drama. And then there's the big dramatic kiss. And then we don't, okay, so what happens next? We don't see that. And maybe we're seeing it a little bit more in the mainstream in recent years. And maybe there's more of a realistic portrayal in other places like social media, maybe sometimes, Um, but not really. We don't really get the full depth and breadth of what real healthy connection, attraction actually looks and feels like. So I love the way that you're describing it. I just had chills all over hearing you describe what it is now, right? To be more attracted to him holistically than you've ever been to anyone. Mm -hmm. Two, two thoughts came to me as you were saying that one, um, one is one that I've, I've said to my husband a few times now. Um, and it has to do with our, our connection. And I, I, I tell him that our connection and, and our disconnection, um, Mm. there's a scene in, um, I forget which version of the Jane, uh, Jane Eyre it is. It's, it's in the film. I'm, I'm not actually, I haven't gone back to the book to see if this line is in the book. Um, and I also will caveat this by saying that I'm not also positive that, um, that the relationship between Mr. Rochester and Jane Eyre is a, a very healthy one, but um, <laughs> that will be another episode. Yes. <laughs> yes. But there is something that Mr. Rochester says to Jane um, uh, when I think it's before he ends up proposing to her and he's basically kind of confessing um, his love for her and Mm. saying how he feels like, and I'm paraphrasing here a bit, but as if there were like a cord um, Mm. anchored in his heart and connecting his heart to her heart. So Mm. there's like this, their hearts are anchored together, tethered together. And that if she were to leave him, that cord would break and he would turn to bleeding inwardly. Hmm. And I do describe my love for my husband that way because it does feel that way. When he leaves, I feel a bit of that, especially when we get into a fight, which yes. is very normal um, and happens and we get disconnected. It is the most painful thing I've ever experienced in my life is to be yes. disconnected from my husband. Um, but in some ways I'm in some ways, I'm kind of grateful for those moments of disconnection because they remind me how much I love him and how dear mm. he is to me and how much I need to fight to make it right. Um, and then my second my second thought that came to me was, I know that you've said this on some of your podcasts and, and in some of your materials about how some people have the intrusive thought of, what if I'm just staying in this relationship because he's safe, because it feels safe? And I know I'm only two and a half years in, but um, I guess what I would say is safety, a sense of safety, a sense of mm. trust. And and the best definition of trust that I've ever found is trust is the belief that the world of you and me is safe. Mm. Um, if you have that sense of safety and trust with your partner, that is the one fundamental ingredient for a lasting, loving relationship. Yes. And that's what I found with my husband. I feel so safe with him. Um, You know, obviously not perfectly. No, you know, there are always um, little rough edges that we need to polish out. But overall, um, I, I feel so safe with him. And he continues to reaffirm for me how safe he is uh, for me to open up to him. And Mm -hmm. once you have that foundation of safety, um, I've been more vulnerable with him, more open with him about my my fears, my anxieties, my insecurities, my hopes, my dreams um, than I've ever been with anybody. I mean, he knows me now better than anybody else. Mm. And so much of the connection and the attraction comes from that, from 
the vulnerability and the safety. So if you start with safety, safety is, is the key ingredient that allows you to be vulnerable. And, Hmm. and the attraction comes from being vulnerable and intimate with your partner, at least in my experience. A hundred percent. Yes, 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 Katie. And, um, you had referenced the book Hold Me Tight by Sue Johnson before we started recording. And it's it's attachment and it's it's attachment theory. It's that sense of oh, the, the agony of being disconnected when there's an argument, which of course will happen. Um, but then in connection, it is that cord and it's like an umbilical cord. And what we know about adult attachment is that it's the same as an attachment between a parent and child. There is, There are these cords. There is the same kind of umbilical cord that attaches our hearts to each other. And that is the most important piece is that fundamental safety. And so I love that you're speaking to that very common intrusive thought. What if I'm only with my partner because I feel safe? And when somebody presents that to me in a coaching call or in a session, I will say that is exactly what you just said. That is the very best reason to be with your partner because it's not everybody that we feel safe with. And from that safety comes connection, the vulnerability, and then also the attraction. That is what, that, that attraction is connection. That's really all it is. Right? And the more we have our hearts open, which we do by doing our own inner work and working with the fear and the protections. And like you mentioned, that fear of loss, which is at the very core, fear of getting hurt, which is you know also the fear of loss, hurting someone else, ourse- ourselves getting hurt, that we learn, I don't know so much that we learn to tolerate that, although I think that's part of it, but we, we learn to accept that that risk is part of loving, right? that we cannot be vulnerable and avoid that risk of getting hurt at the same time. And so on some level, we make these choices. And that's what I'm hearing when I'm listening to you tell your story is that you made choices all along the way that led you to where you are now. You made a choice to take responsibility. You made a choice to um, not repeat what you had done in the past and let your fear be the driver, be in the driver's seat. You made a choice to, to do the inner work. You made the choice to, to keep showing up. These are all choices, and I think it's important to underscore that because anxiety can feel like it's just being done to you, and to some degree it is. It's entering. We're not choosing to be anxious, but we do choose how we respond. We do choose what happens next, and that's true for everybody, and I will just say this for our audience. No matter how extreme your anxiety is, no matter if you've been diagnosed with OCD, there is always a choice, even when it doesn't feel like it. And I think that that's one of the most important pieces and one of the most empowering pieces to understand that we are, we may not choose our thoughts and feelings, but we certainly choose what happens next. Um, I am curious, Victoria. <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> I, I feel your deep listening ears and heart. And I'm so curious if there's anything that's standing out for you or anything that you imagine our um, anxious listeners might yeah. be might be mulling yes. on right now. So first of all, Katie, I'm just so grateful to you for sharing your story. And I got so emotional when you said like safety is, um, I trust the world of you and me. Maybe that's what you said. Mm. Um, and I think first I'll just say, yes, I think, you know, Cheryl and I recorded stories about our relationship anxiety that we're going to share as a bonus episode for our Patreon community this month. And I think my story is really different in a lot of ways. And I think some of that has to do with age. 
Like I was thinking about how being in your early 30s when you meet a partner and having had a lot of different life experiences and dating experiences and relationship experiences can give some perspective that can be hard when you're like I was 23 when I got together with my partner. And I know there are people who are like, well, this is like my only relationship. And how do I know? Like, I don't have a basis for comparison. And I did have a honeymoon phase. I I did kind of get hit with it more like five years in, you know, like there are a lot of things that are really different. So um, it's really interesting to hear your perspective of kind of having had those different experiences that that made it even clearer, I think, for you that, okay, this is a pattern with me. Yes. Um, so just I just want to kind of say that for people listening who maybe maybe have some feeling that, okay, there are certain patterns of mine that are coming up, but have a harder time knowing if this would happen with someone else for, you know, for sure. Um, I also struggle with like the inner voice thing. I think for me, I can get really hooked on that because I often hear a little voice saying all sorts of things. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. So what you said, Cheryl, about like, maybe it's not a voice for everyone. Maybe it's a different kind of sense of wanting to stay and, and be curious and work with things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll just name those things just for those listening um, who might be a little bit different, but I'm so moved by Katie's story and your eloquence and just so grateful for it. And I do have a question. I feel like often for people, there is some element of grief involved in relationship anxiety or or some letting go of something, mm. whether it's an ideal of like who you thought your partner would be or what you thought your life would look like, or even just yourself. Like, oh, well, if I was with a different partner, maybe like I would be fixed. Like I wouldn't have these issues anymore. Mm. So I'm just curious, was there anything – was there anything that you had to let go of or grieve in this process? Yes. I think there were a few things I think. Um, and I don't know, I guess there, there are two things I'm thinking of and I, I don't want to say that the first is grieving, but maybe it is, you know, maybe it is. I think it is. Um, so one thing I haven't mentioned is that, um, you know, my husband, as I mentioned, he's 42 and he has a daughter, uh, who uh, is 13 now. And, um, so he was, he was married previously a number of years ago. Um, and you know, it's funny. Um, I know that as part of my relationship anxiety, I had, um, I guess as one of the symptoms of my relationship anxiety, I had, a I had a, a lot of criteria that I thought were, um, necessary for my, um, life partner. And I wasn't exactly looking for somebody with, um, with a daughter, you know, somebody with, um, a a marital history. Um, I kind of want somebody who is more similar to me. And ironically, uh, this is actually a thought that came to me, I think last week when I was thinking about this episode, when I kind of look at the list of criteria that I was looking for in a partner, I was basically describing myself. Um, I I think, which is, I think, um, perhaps somewhat common. Um, but when you think about it that way, uh, why would I want to date myself? If you date yourself, one, I think I would get sick of myself, but two, there's also no room for growth. The greatest room for growth is in the differences between you, um, where where your weaknesses complement their strengths and vice versa. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I had to kind of let go of that notion that I was looking for somebody like myself. And I think that the root of that, of that earlier insistence I had on all of these criteria was what Cheryl talks about in her coursework that deep down, I was afraid that I was not enough. Mm-hmm. And so I was looking externally for all these criteria that I really wanted to see in myself. And that the knowing part of me knows that I, I have a lot of these, you know, characteristics. So a lot of it came from, from my own self doubt, my own sense of, of unworthiness of being um, unworthy of love really mm-hmm. is, is what it came down to. So I kind of had to grieve that and really come to terms with what was at the root of it and, and recognize that, no, I, I am worthy of love and, and I do, I do deserve to be loved and to love. 
And then the second thing I think I had to grieve, which Cheryl, you also talk about in your coursework is, you know, I had always been very independent and I'd been very proud of the fact that I was independent. You know, I'd lived on my own for a number of years. I generally like to do everything myself, partly because, you know, I think, I think it kind of fits the mold that many people with relationship anxiety um, tend to be perfectionists by nature and they want to be in control because if you're in control, then you feel more certain and less unsafe and you feel like you can avoid or mitigate the risk of loss or the risk of pain. Um, And so I really had had a very happy life um, up until I met my husband but it was a very solitary life in some ways. You know, I, I had a great support system, support system. I had a number of friends and very close family. But when you start really getting into um, a serious relationship with another person, you have to compromise a lot. You know, I was commuting back and forth between my place and his place. I had to uh, accept that, you know, he had a daughter and he typically has his daughters on the, his daughter on the weekends. And so that's a sacrifice as well. I mean, there are certain things that we you know, either can't do because she's there or we have to find workarounds. There's just a lot to juggle. And, you know, I'll be honest, I wasn't, I wasn't planning on basically having a child immediately right at the same time that I'm, I'm trying to build a relationship with my partner, having to deal with a child in the picture as well. And so that was a struggle. And I had to grieve that as well, because there's a lot of sharing that comes with that. And I know, you know, Cheryl and I had a session last summer um, where we talked a bit about that and, and the struggles that I was having, um, you know, and, and the guilt, the guilt that I was feeling about kind of wanting him all for myself, the same way that she mm-hmm. was, I am positive that, uh, my, my stepdaughter, and I, I don't even like that term. Um, she was feeling all those same things. She wanted her father all to herself, you know, and it's just, um, and that's very hard. It's very hard for, it was very hard for both of us at the beginning of the relationship. and we're still working on it a bit. I think it's just a, um, you know, it's a gradual transition. Um, Mm -hmm. and she is certainly dealing with it more than I am. It's a a 13 year old girl. It's probably the hardest age that a, uh, a young woman goes through. Mm -hmm. Um, and then dealing with our recent marriage and a move and all these other things. So yes, there were, there were a number of things that I grieved, um, and, and, and including the loss of my, my, um, my independence and, and a lot of my free time, you know, I used to be able to structure my weekends and my days, however I wanted. And now I have to, um, I have to, you know, negotiate that with, with my partner and, and, um, and potentially uh, his daughter, if, if we have her at that time. Um, and so there's just, there's just a lot more coordination that, that goes into it as well. But I also look on the bright side, you know, I know that in the long run, um, my being in um, my stepdaughter's life is going to be a great benefit to her because I want, I want her to be happy, you know? Um, And I know that, and I love her. And, and I know that, um, I know that her being in my life will also be to my benefit. Um, Mm. Even just from a very practical standpoint, Um, my husband and I plan to have children in the near future. Um, You know, I'm 35, so there's no, um, there's no hiding that like, I don't have a ton of time left. Right. And, um, I've been able to watch his daughter go from 10 years old to 13 and it's been, um, a fascinating journey and, um, uh, kind of serve as, as training wheels for me, um, mm. uh, in some way. So, you know, and, and I think you just realize that life is a mixed bag and it's never going to be the the perfect fairy tale that, that so many movies, um, make it out to be, but Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that, that you can't create your own happiness and your own meaning. Um, Mm. and it's, you know, really going back, looping back to what we were talking about at the very beginning. It's when you take responsibility for your own feelings and for your own life that you can really create it, uh, create the life that you want. Mm so beautiful yeah so beautiful katie such a great question victoria i'm so glad you brought that piece in and i'm also glad you um spoke to those two other elements in terms of relationship anxiety um showing up later or you're you're older when you meet your partner and the benefit of that um but i think also what katie's speaking to is is also the the challenge of that in terms of you've had a lot of life being single 
Um, you've had a lot of time to do things exactly the way you want to do things. So as with everything in life, there are gifts and challenges, no matter how we slice it. And it's, it's all the same, it's all the same bag. It's all the same work. Um, so I love, I love doing these interviews. This is reminding, I haven't done one since I created the Break Free from Relationship Anxiety course in 2015. I loved doing those then. There are 10 in that course um, with all different stories, all different details and specifics from same-sex relationships to long distance to doubt from day one to doubt showing up later. Um, you know, the details are interesting, but also not necessarily places that we need to get too stuck on. But I love, I just love spending this time with you, Katie, and hearing your journey, hearing your story. I know it's going to be really, really helpful to anyone who's struggling right now. I'm curious if you have any words of hope for anyone who is in, in the thick of it right now. And also, you had shared your beautiful vows with me. That was actually the reason why I ended up reaching out to you to ask if you'd be willing to be a guest. And if you would be willing to share those vows, I think it would be a very beautiful way to end. And if not, it's totally, totally fine. Uh, yes, absolutely. So um, I, I can definitely read my vows at the end. Um, I, I, in terms of words of hope, I, I would just say hang in there. You know, I, yes. through your work, I also discovered Brene Brown and I listened to some of her TED Talks on shame and vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And I think one of another hook that I had for many years was that it was my independence that gave me strength, that made me strong and that codependence was a bad thing, um, mm-hmm. and it made you weak. And if you really needed other people, then you were you were kind of failing at life. And it's amazing that I've done a complete 180 on that mindset. <laughs> I absolutely now believe in healthy, mutual codependence. I have no problem admitting how much I need my husband. I mm-hmm. need him more than anybody else in the world, and I see it. I, I see it every day even just our small rituals, how badly I need them. Like mm. six months in, there was one morning where he forgot to say goodbye to me because um, he was rushing to take his daughter to school. And um, I just broke down crying in bed and he understood mm. and drove back after um, he dropped her off at school and you know, came back, gave me a hug, said he loved me. And we now have very established, explicit rituals about our to meet our emotional needs every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's so vital. Um, so I would just, you know, I would just echo Brene's, Brene Brown's words, um, something to the effect of vulnerability is the truest form of courage, yeah. or perhaps the highest form of courage. Um, yeah. And so it, being vulnerable doesn't make you weak at all. It's actually what makes you st- strong. And when you and your partner can be vessels for each other, can hold each other's wants and needs and fears and hopes and dreams, you become stronger together as a team. And that's the way my husband and I both see it. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm just incredibly grateful. I, I will never, I don't know that I'll ever be able to express how grateful I am for um, the work that you do, Cheryl, and what it's mm. done in my life. Mm. Thank you. Thank you, Katie. Mm. Um, beautiful words. So my vows, I will, um, I'll read them and, uh, I will just omit my, uh, my husband's name and, uh, his daughter's name for, uh, yes. uh, anonymity's sake. Yes. From the time we are young children, we are fed these myths about love, that love is something that strikes us, even blinds us at first sight, that when you find the one you will know because it will be easy, it will be effortless. That true love means never having to say you're sorry, and that once you find true love, the rest is happily ever after. But these, as I said, are just myths. They are not real. Real love is something altogether different, and it's something I've learned for the first time with you. Real love is not for those who tire easily. Real love is not a raging fire, but a steady warmth that deepens with time. Real love means having to say you're sorry, a lot. Real love forces you to stretch, to grow, 
It challenges you like nothing else can. Real love is effortful, not effortless. Real love is hard. But it is also the most beautiful thing I have ever experienced. Real love is a deep, intimate, vulnerable connection with another human being. Real love means being able to stand with someone, bare and unguarded, and feel safe and seen. And I am so blessed to have found real love with you. From our second, perhaps even first date, I knew there was something special about you. I couldn't put my finger on it, but I could feel it. I could sense in you a kindness, a softness, an inner child yearning for intimacy and connection, just as I was. And I know I was a tough nut to crack at first, but you hung in there, and I'm so glad you did. Because when our walls came down and our hearts opened to each other, our inner children came out to play. And they play so, so well together. Some of my favorite days are those spent doing absolutely nothing with you. Thank you for coming into my life. Thank you for sticking with me. Thank you for challenging me daily to be a better version of myself. You are the rock to my star and my best friend. In writing these vows, I was reminded of something my dad once told me when my sister and I got into a little fight many years ago. He said, put the relationship first. I have cherished that credo ever since. When I find myself lost in a relationship with someone I love, that principle is my North Star, and it has never steered me wrong. It guides me in my interactions with you, because I know that our relationship is the foundation upon which we will build the rest of our lives. It is the soil from which our future family will bloom, and from which our existing family, including your amazing daughter, will continue to flourish. And so I promise you that I will recommit myself to you and to our marriage each day. I promise to love you and honor you from this day forward and to never take you for granted. And while I may not always get it right, I promise that I will never fail you for lack of effort. I love you so much, and I cannot wait to spend the rest of my life playing with you and putting our relationship first. Oh my gosh. I just like am like fully <laughs> crying so hard. Uh-huh. <laughs> like Weeping. not just like I teared up. Like I was like weeping. <laughs> yes. Oh, Katie. There must have not been a dry eye at that <laughs> wedding. Oh my gosh. Oh. Spectacular. Gorgeous. What a gift you have with words. Thank you. Mm. Oh, thank you, Katie. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Being here and sharing and being vulnerable, being honest, and, and thank you for your to your husband, who I know will be listening. Thank you for um, the part that you've played in this story. And um, for both of you for shining your light and sharing your love on this planet. It's quite a gift. Thank you, Cheryl. And thank you, Victoria. 